Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. You can visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Lawrence Mead is a professor of politics at New York University and author of Burdens of Freedom, Cultural Difference in American Power. We'll visit with uh, Professor Mead. We'll also visit with Seton Modley, the founder and president of Less Government, and Naples' former mayor, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. It is the last day of September. Can you believe it? September the 30th, and on this day in 1954, the United SS uh, Nautilus, the first a uh, nuclear submarine was commissioned by the U.S. Navy. The Nautilus was constructed under the direction of U.S. Navy Captain Hyman G. Rickover, a brilliant Russian-born engineer who joined the U.S. atomic program in 1946. In 1947, he was put in charge of the Navy's nuclear propulsion program and began work on the atomic submarine. Regarded as a fanatic by his detractors, Rickover succeeded in developing and delivering the first nuclear submarine three years ahead of schedule. In 1952, the Nautilus keel was laid by President Harry S. Truman, and on January the 21st, 1954, First Lady Mamie Eisenhower broke a bottle of champagne across its bow as it was launched into the Thames River at Groton, Connecticut. I actually watched that in black and white TV. I remember it as a kid. Commissioned by September 30th, 1954, it was first run under nuclear power on the morning of January the 17th, 1955. Much larger than the diesel-electric submarines that preceded it, the Nautilus stretched 319 feet and displaced 3,180 tons. It could remain submerged for almost unlimited periods because its atomic engine needed no air and only a small quantity of nuclear fuel. The uranium-powered nuclear reactor produced steam, steam that drove propulsion turbines, allowing the Nautilus to travel underwater at speeds in excess of 20 knots. That's pretty quick. In the early years of service, the Nautilus broke numerous uh, submarine travel records and in August 1958 accomplished the first voyage under the geographic North Pole after a career spanning 25 years and almost 500,000 miles steamed. The Nautilus was decommissioned on March 3, 1980, designated a National Historic Landmark in 1982. The world's first nuclear submarine went on exhibit in 1986 at the historic ship Nautilus at the Submarine uh, Force Museum in Groton, Connecticut. Interesting place. Uh, interesting place to visit. It all happened on this day. <clears throat> House Speaker Nancy Pelosi may abandon a plan to take up President Joe Biden's bipartisan infrastructure package on Thursday due to potentially insurmountable opposition from a faction of liberal uh, lawmakers. Pelosi told uh, reporters Following a closed-door meeting with fellow Democrats, that she's not sticking to any timetable despite a pledge she'd hold a vote in, on the infrastructure bill by the end of September. I can't keep a commitment that the Senate has made impossible to do, the California Democrats said when report, reporters asked about the plan to vote on the infrastructure bill today. 
Pelosi's under pressure from a faction of House liberals to postpone a vote on the infrastructure measure until both the House and the Senate pass a much larger social welfare spending package that will cost up to $3.5 trillion. What a bunch of waste. She and other uh, top Democrats are trying to convince their rank and file instead of to accept a House-Senate agreement among Democrats on the cost of the bill and a legislative framework. Senate centrist Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are standing in the way, insisting on lowering the cost of the bill and changing some key provisions. Manchin of West Virginia and Sinema of Arizona have been meeting with President Joe Biden this week in a frantic bid to create a consensus ahead of the Thursday's infrastructure vote. With no general agreement in sight, Pelosi could postpone consideration of the infrastructure bill because it might not pass. We take it one step at a time, she said, adding that House Democrats are seeking an agreement with Senate Democrats on a $3.5 trillion spending package, which has not yet materialized. Kind of a poison pill for anybody facing election, I would guess, in 2022. But later in the news conference, Pelosi acknowledged her initial plan to bring up the bill on Thursday and didn't rule it out, but I want it to pass, so what we want to do is to pass it tomorrow, and anything that strengthens the hand of the Speaker helps. Biden taught Democrats are eager to usher the infrastructure package into law. The bill passed the Senate with bipartisan support earlier this year and has significant public support. The bill would pay for roads, bridges, water projects, expanded broadband, and electric vehicle charging stations. Biden's signature on the measure would give the party an opportunity to tout a significant legislative victory amid the president's sagging poll numbers. Liberal Democrats fear passing the infrastructure bill will eliminate the leverage they command over the Democrat Party in the bid to pass the larger polls package, the social welfare package. The uh, measure they envision would pay for expanding Medicare, Medicaid assistance, free preschool, free community college, paid family and medical leave, extended child care credits, and much, much more. Just turn us right into a socialist state. Pelosi said she's waiting on the Senate and Biden. We have to come to a place where we have an agreement in legislative language, she said. Not just in principle, legislative language that the president supports. It has to meet his standard because that's what we are supporting. Then I think we can come together, she said. <clears throat> Let's hope it all fails. In fact, House Republican leaders want to stop members of the House conference from helping centrist Democrats save the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill from doom. Last week, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy committed to whipping votes against the bill after weeks of opposition from Conservative Freedom Caucus and Republican Study Committee. The opposition comes despite the bill previously passing the Senate with the support of 19 Republicans, including Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Members of the House Progressive Caucus, led by Washington uh, Representative Pamela J. Pell, say that at least half of the 95 voting members of the House will vote against the infrastructure proposal if it comes before Democrats' sweeping social programs reconciliation bill of up to $3.5 trillion. 95 votes against from the Democrat Party. Can you believe that? Otherwise, they fear reconciliation Build Back Better Act will delayed be delayed indefinitely. Well, that's so interesting. Looks like things are coming down to a crunch. Excuse me. So if the House gig doesn't work out, Washington Nationals may be able to use Representative Greg Stubbe, 
Doobie, he's a Republican from Florida, briefly took the focus off President Biden, who was booed yesterday at the game during Wednesday night's congressional baseball game by hitting a rare out-of-the-park home run uh, in the Democrat versus Republican grudge match. As uh, Biden's greeting Stubby's GOP teammates in the home dugout at Nationals Park amid ongoing drama over the fate of two massive spending bills, the second-term lawmaker turned on the first pitch at the bottom of the third inning from Representative Pete Aguiar and sent it deep into left field as the ball hit off the railing in the front of the first row of the uh, stands and ricocheted back onto the field. Stubby broke into a Kurt Gibson-style slow trot around the bases. He was congratulated by Democrat fielders. Uh, he encountered before m- being mobbed by his red-clad teammates as he crossed the plate. Doobie's the first lawmaker to clear the fence at Nationals Park since the game was moved there in 2008. Representative Ron Paul is believed to have been the first lawmaker to hit an out-of-the-park home run in the game, doing so in 1979 at Alexandria, Virginia. In 1997, Representative John Smekas clanged a home run off a foul pole at Prince George's Stadium in Bowie, Maryland. In addition to showing his prowess at the plate, Stubbe was also the GOP's starting pitcher, taking the mound in a red Save America hat, side by President, uh, former President Donald Trump, and toiled through five and two-thirds innings and 120 pitches before moving to third base. Representative uh, August Luger managed to record the final four outs of the GOP held on the for a 13-12 seven-inning win their first since 2016. This just makes me laugh. The, the last out was recorded by who else? Stubbe, who caught a pop-up off the bat of Gre- Representative Greg Stanton of uh, Arizona with the time went on second base to preserve the Republican victory. So congratulations to the Republicans. One of the game went to Stubbe sitting his home run out of the park in Nationals uh, Stadium. <clears throat> Well, in late August, a Marine Battalion Commander, Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, took a blowtorch to the woke military leadership for their failure in Afghanistan that resulted in 13 servicemen dying. Lieutenant Colonel Steller, Scheller, a 17-year veteran, risked his career in pension when he posted a scathing rebuke of the senior military leaders who failed U.S. servicemen serving in Afghanistan. Joe Biden's incompetence and corruption led to the death of 13 servicemen and 17 15 more were critically wounded in a blast by a suicide bomber in Kabul in August. I want to say this very strongly. I've been fighting for 17 years. I'm willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability, said Scheller. I'm not saying we've got to be in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying, did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, a strategic air base, before we evacuate everyone? Did anyone do that? And uh, when you didn't do that, did anyone raise their hand and say, we completely messed this up, Scheller said. Following his public outburst, he was uh, submitted his resignation letter to his superiors, effective uh, 9-11. But they weren't finished with him. On Monday, he was uh, arrested and sent to the brig. On Wednesday, his uh, parents joined the Tucker Carlson show uh, to talk about their son. And it was a great uh, presentation on their part. Lieutenant uh, Scheller's mother told Tucker Carlson, they're trying to bury our son. The regime wants to make an example of anyone who would dare speak out against these horrible officials. Congratulations to him. The only guy that went to the brig for what happened in Afghanistan, it happened to be a guy who simply wanted the uh, leadership to tell the truth. 
This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, that and more. Right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House thrift stores, Cafe M25, car wash and detailing center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social, a new refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Lawrence Mead, professor of politics at the uh, New York University. Right now we have with us Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good morning, Bob. Always good to talk to you. Thank you as well, Pastor Rick. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, the Florida Citizens Alliance is a grassroots-driven movement to try to help improve our education opportunities for children in K-12 through schools all across Florida. We want to help parents. We want to help teachers. We want to help everybody that loves and cares about kids move heaven and earth to make available to our children the best possible education where they can thrive. We all know kids are curious. They like to learn. We just have to make an environment where it gives them every opportunity to learn and stretch and grow and and be the people that we all know they can become. 
Great organization. You've made great strides over the last eight or nine years in terms of getting, first of all, influence in Tallahassee, and second of all, bringing about great legislation to improve education in Florida. So the website is goflca.com, goflca.com. Understand that uh, you're kind of drawing a parallel between the improved civics education in Florida that's been proposed and the governor's recent announcement executive order about immigration. Well, yes, I have been thinking about that a lot since I saw the announcement of, that the governor made. I, I first got a hint of this when I saw a press release, uh, a news report here in Lee County about it, and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And, and it made me think of some of the civics things that we're all advocating for. Uh, one of our concerns at Florida Citizens Alliance is that our children, when they go to school, don't learn about how our government works Pastor Rick, are you there? I think I may. Pardon me? I, I just, you, you kind of, uh, we lost you there for a moment. Oh, I'm sorry. No question. I don't, don't know what happened. Um, <laughs> I don't either, but maybe you could pick up where you were, uh, you were talking about uh, uh, the the governor uh, passing or, or, or issuing, uh, we don't think enough about our, uh, we don't learn enough about our, our background and how our government works is where you left off. Right, yeah. Well, we've been concerned about that because of education not teaching civics well enough and helping our kids understand it. And so we've worked on that, helped the, the state develop better standards and so forth. And one of the things that is important in a civics education is other, understanding the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Well, I heard the governor made this announcement about the state of Florida's efforts to push back against the border crisis and illegal immigration. And one of the things the governor said he was doing was ordering all the state agencies to not provide assistance to the federal government when it comes to these illegal immigrants. In other words, if you work for the state of Florida and you're responsible to the governor, you can't help ad advance this Ill illegal immigration problem. Great. So I thought that's very interesting. Um, he also said he was suing the Biden administration. Well, that happens a lot. And... Uh, so that kind of goes by us quickly. But this idea that he would refuse to cooperate with them is a direct appeal to, it seems to me, the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution, where it says the, the federal government, when they can't do things, they can't expect us to help them. Right. And I thought that's a really interesting test of that idea. And we'll see if that's what the governor has in mind. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Can't prove it. Nothing in his order mentioned the Tenth Amendment. Uh, it was only the hint that that he was refusing to cooperate because unless it was required by Florida law or federal law, we were going to stay away from that completely and, and not uh, facilitate this illegal operation that the Biden administration is doing. That's a strong statement and one that we should watch. And that's directly related to our understanding of civics. If we understand civics, we understand why he's doing it and that he has the authority to do it. Absolutely, and uh, again, the whole notion of federalism and states' rights and being able to protect our rights as uh, citizens of Florida as well as the rights, our rights as citizens of the United States, uh, uh, a great example of uh, using civics and helping our kids understand uh, the importance of our Constitution and our, our way of government. It's a republic. It's not a democracy, and it's important that kids understand how that works. Well, that's true, and if we don't understand, we won't know when our elected officials are doing it right, and we won't know when they're doing it wrong. 
Absolutely. And in this case, this is a hint of something we need to support and help the governor accomplish because we are a sovereign state the state of florida and we can push back against this stuff and we should so before i let you go i do, I do want you to uh, uh tell us about what's happening on tuesday night this is a big deal it is a big deal and we'd like to invite everybody to join us there are some tickets left not sure how many but uh, we're having alan west at seat to table alan's going to come and talk to us people know he's running for governor in texas he was a former florida resident he always has insightful things to say and people can buy tickets at our website, goflca.com. There's an events tab. Take you right to it. Come early. Join us for dinner. See, the table serves a remarkable dinner. It's much more, as people know, than a grocery store. Uh, they have quite a chef there, and you won't be disappointed. But we'd sure love to have you, and I know you'd love to meet Alan West and uh, enjoy the time together with other patriots. So goflca.com under the events tab. Buy a ticket. Come out and see us on Tuesday. GoFLCA.com. By the way, Alan West, uh, he's a real hero, actually. Uh, he was going to be uh, court-martialed because he actually, uh, his men were going to be ambushed, and he caught uh, one of the people who was going to do this. I think this was in Iraq. And uh, basically, he said, he said, you have to tell us where, where you, what's happening. And the, and the guy said, I refuse to do so, and laughed in his face. And uh, Colonel West, at the time, just took his gun and just fired it about a half an inch away from his ear, <laughs> and the guy spilled the beans. <laughs> so, uh, and so they threatened to court-martial him because of his behavior. It turns out that he uh, ended up prevailing and running for Congress here in Florida. But he's quite a guy, and I encourage, yeah. I encourage our listeners to uh, go to GoFLCA, get a ticket for Tuesday night at Seated Table, one of the happiest places in all of Cuyahoga County. Pastor Rick, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Good to talk with you. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, uh, Professor Lori, uh, Lawrence Re Mead, <clears throat> Professor of Politics at New York University. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show and the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Luke Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, 
It's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of less government. Right now we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Professor Lawrence Mead, Professor of Politics at New York University and author of Burdens of Freedom, Cultural Difference and American Power. Professor Mead, thank you so much for joining us. Okay, I can barely hear you. I you pa- need to speak up, Bob. All right, I'll certainly work on it. Is that better? Yes. Okay, yes. good. Okay. Sometimes that happens, Professor, so I'm sorry about that. So you wrote a very interesting column, and I think it was an American Spectator, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. It's called The Real Afghan Tragedy. And now, of course, we're all familiar with what ha- what has happened in uh, Afghanistan, but what are your thoughts? Tell us about it. Well, the commentary has focused entirely on the collapse of the American mission to Afghanistan and the sudden victory of the Taliban. So we see it as a victory, really a defeat in military terms. I think that's the way we see it. And that's certainly what is most apparent in just reading the press. Mm-hmm. But to me, it is more notable that Afghan, Afghanistan is a country where there is almost no government, where they've never been able to govern themselves, where they can't even maintain order in the country, aside from anything else. Mm-hmm. And that is something we need to take more seriously because there are a number of other countries in the non-Western world where this is the case, where government has truly failed. It's unable even to control its own territory. And that is a serious problem for us. We have to recognize that it isn't just a problem of democracy. It's a problem of government in some more profound sense that they just can't govern their territory. Now, why is that? Well, it, it turns out that the culture of many poor countries is really averse to strong government Mm -hmm. because they don't actually have a civic culture where they honor government's capabilities at the same time holding it accountable for good behavior. That's what we do in Western countries. Uh, We pay our taxes. We um, obey the law. We don't give government anything it asks, and we hold it accountable. But the result is we actually have strong government. Mm-hmm. even though we also believe in freedom. And we see those things as compatible, whereas they're not compatible in most of the world. And we really haven't faced up to this problem. Mm-hmm. I don't see an easy answer, but I also don't think that we can just ignore this. This is a profound problem that we face in the world as a whole. Yeah. Professor, uh, Afghanistan, to my knowledge, is a tribal. In other words, is just a group's different... Uh, tribes in Afghanistan, and they respect the tribe probably more than the government in Afghanistan, what little yeah. of it exists right now. 
Would you say that's atypical or typical of what's happening around in other places? I, I would say it's, it isn't always tribal, but most poor countries have local forms of order that have to do with tribes or ethnic groups or localities or particular villages where there is some recognition of, of government, but only very limited. And what they have never been able to do is to construct a state that has authority over the entire country. See, that happened in Western countries in Europe a long time ago. That happened in the Middle Ages. We really have never had chaos in Western countries the, the what you see in Afghanistan today. That was never true. And in, I mean, Afghanistan is an extreme case. There are many other poor countries that have governments, and we send diplomats to them. We recognize them politically. We cooperate with them in certain ways. But the thing we never really reckon with is that they don't actually control their territories. Mm -hmm. They're actually not able to govern in some very basic sense. And that reflects the uh, lack of a civic culture, which in turn is due, I think, to the different structure of the moral element of the culture. In the United States, we have a moralistic culture in which certain political principles are internalized by the population and obeyed most of the time. So we do have the rule of law. We don't have a serious corruption problem. We do have some corruption, but it doesn't dominate <laughs> the country. Yeah. And in the non-West, it does dominate. And government is really not able to pursue a public purpose. People are too distrustful. They don't internalize attitudes toward good government attitudes. Mm -hmm. the, the notion, the moral structure in these countries is mostly external. You do things that external authority tells you to do, but you don't internalize it. You don't see it as right and wrong. Mm -hmm. You just do it because that's what the authorities want. And you, you don't actually honor government in an inward sense. And that is simply a distinct feature of the West. That's why we do have a civic culture. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean it's, obviously we have limitations and there's all kinds of criticisms of government, but we do collect taxes, we do have obedience to the law, and therefore we can function. And that isn't true in most countries. And, mo and most of the commentary and even academic discussions about government in these countries focuses almost completely on whether they're democratic or not. Mm -hmm. But that is a very secondary question. You can't even talk about democracy until you have a government that's able to govern. Mm -hmm. And we just don't see that in much of the world. That's so interesting, Professor. I, I think back to of the, uh, it's really a 5,000-year miracle of the uh, founders here in the United States and actually putting together a, a thought process and a constitution. Be, and it was what happened here was, of course, we had a revolution against the English, Yeah. but we were together, we, we worked our way through the process of thinking through how we want to govern ourselves. A yeah. really remarkable thing. That, and of course, the French did something like that, but theirs was very violent and very unthoughtful yes. in so many ways. No, we, you see, the thing that makes it particularly hard for us to see this problem is that we basically inherited good government from the British. Mm -hmm. The British are the political geniuses of Europe. They got their act together politically in some basic sense a long, long time ago, over a thousand years. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's never been a time in English history since the foundation of the kingdom in the ninth century when you had the kind of chaos that you see in Afghanistan today. That was never true. Mm -hmm. And the kings always had authority at some level over the entire country. And now their power grew over time, and there were issues and struggles about 
royal power. In the 17th century, you had a revolution against the Stuart kings. So there were obviously differences and conflicts. But during the Civil War in the 17th century, the judges were still making their rounds and holding court mm-hmm. across England, even while a civil war was going on. Mm-hmm. In other words, there was no question about the rule of law. The struggle was over who should govern and what they should do. So the, there was a serious political division. But they both, both sides assumed that there was going to be government. Yeah. And, and Americans inherited all that. And they are the only founding elite of a new country which ever thought they had too much power. I mean, the, the, the American Constitution is dedicated mostly to limiting power, mm-hmm. to preventing a majority getting control and dominating the country without serious consent. They thought that was a serious danger, but it's only a danger in a country with a rich governmental tradition. Mm-hmm. And that isn't... Most other countries, when, they're, when they have been freed from European empires, they immediately centralize power. because the thing they have to do is govern the territory. And they cannot take that for granted as we could. So power is centralized. There is almost no democracy, or even if there is, it isn't really democracy in the American sense. And they have to do that yeah. if they're going to control their territory. I think and, you're make, I'm making a pretty good case against nation building for the United States. Yes, absolutely. I, I think, I, I, I'm not sure I fully finished with that question, but that is absolutely right. The idea of nation building assumes that there is a political culture. It assumes that we're building something that already on something that already exists, but that's really never never been true. I mean, there are a few cases like Japan and Germany, which we rebuilt after World War II, but they were already strongly governed countries. They already had a strong civic culture, mm-hmm. and that's why it was possible. Mm. And there are a couple of other Asian countries where we did that: South Korea. Taiwan, and so on. But that's it. Other Asian countries are not like that. They're corrupt. They're weak. Look at Indonesia, for example. Um, these countries are not well-governed. They have all the problems that are typical of the non-Western world. And that the main threat that that poses for us is that these countries are now falling apart to such an extent that much of their population is trying to emigrate to the West. And they're coming to get good government. Because they can't get it at home. I mean, this is a profound failure, which we really haven't focused on. All we talk about is democracy, okay? Mm. Well, that's a luxury. That's the icing on the cake after you have a government that is able to govern. So interesting. Again, Professor Lawrence Mead, professor of politics at New York University and author of Burdens of Freedom, Cultural Difference in American Power. Again, you'll find this column, The Real Afghan Tragedy in the American Spectator. Uh, Professor, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. 
He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence, serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. You know, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and uh, it's a small cabal. Yeah, is there a, is there an example of that anywhere in the world? <laughs> uh, um, Romania, maybe. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, hey, what, this is one of your best columns ever. I really appreciate it. China's slave labor, coal-fired, mass-subsidized solar panels dominate the planet. This was great, and the irony involved. Tell us about it. Yeah, so, of course, we've. Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of green energy. I think it's a sham. I think it's a scam. I think climate change is a, is a lie that's begotten a million lies, and one of them is green energy. Europe is having problems keeping the lights on right now because they've gone too far down the green energy path. Um, there's examples all over the world. Natural gas, um, is the price is up 300% because that's what most fake energy uses as its backup. And, of course, it always needs backup because the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine, etc. So it's a whole total scam. However, I like to point out that if you're going to do it, I'd rather do it domestically, right? I right. mean, and and not just that, but the hypocrisy that's behind green energy. It's, as I always say, it's it's neither green nor energy. Extracting the rare earths necessary to make them is a giant assault on the uh, environment in a way. Oil and gas and coal extraction is is not. I mean, it's 
is orders of magnitude worse, and it produces no energy. I mean, the cost per kilowatt hour of energy is multiple times greater for fake energy than it is for real energy. And so it requires massive government subsidies at every stage of its right and, and, and execution. So then we go to China, which, of course, is the worst of the worst. They, they, they are building more coal power plants than anybody on the planet, if I'm not mistaken, right now. They are. Um, and we're going to cut our economic throats to, in the name of climate change, and then import from China, who's not. That doesn't seem to make any sense. Um, the, the solar energy is particularly amusing. Most of the solar panels, about 75% on the planet, come from China. Right. Now, here's the irony. They're using slave labor to build it. Right. Well, from, I mean, the moral uh, obnoxiousness aside, that's an economic advantage in making them that we don't have and that most other countries don't have. It's cheaper to pay your workers nothing than it is to pay them something. Yep. So you can charge less for your solar panels. Then the irony kicks in. They're using cheap real energy, coal, to power the solar panel manufacturing plant. Right. So, obviously, the coal makes the energy cheaper, and as we cut our throats and go to solar and wind, they're giving us, they're selling us the solar panels that they made using coal. It's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah, which, of course, is absurd. Yeah. I mean, and then before they ship, they ship them off, they mass subsidize them with government money. Yeah. Which further artificially lowers the price. And they, they started doing this basically after the 2008 housing crisis. They saw an opportunity to, to get a stranglehold on a, another portion of the global economy. So they started pumping these things out after the 2008 housing crisis, and now they dominate the planet with them. Isn't it amazing? Seton, I mean, it, it, the irony of them, so, okay, they're going to use natural uh, energy, coal-based energy, uh, carbon-based energy, I should say. They're going to make these panels. They're going to send them over to the United States and other countries around the world to destroy their economies by trying to use this type of energy. And then there's going to be the problem of what do you do with the panels after their useful life is over? Well, yes, and that, that was the other stage I forgot to mention, which is th they're not being green and being very expensive. When you've burned your oil, the oil's gone. When you've burned your gas, natural gas, the gas is gone. When the solar panels are spent, when the wind turbines are finished, you have to handle them like nuclear waste. Right. They're that toxic to the environment when they're done. Right. So, and we're going to have a huge reckoning because we're dumping, you know, especially if this stupid infrastructure bill passes. In 20 years is roughly the lifespan of all these things, the turbines and the solar panels. We're going to have a huge reckoning in 20 years when we have to buy them all over again and dispose of the old ones. Uh, That's going to be a really ugly... <laughs> Another ugly stage in our in our decline as a society. But just think about the t communist Chinese. As much as I despise uh, what they're doing, it's pretty darn clever to actually. Oh, it's very smart. It, look, they did the same thing in the internet. One of the holes in the there's like five steps. There's five <clears throat> different sectors of the connection phase of the internet, and what the, they saw a hole in, in step four, and they flooded the world with cheap hardware. So the entire planet connects to the Internet through 
cheap Chinese hardware, which they can spy on. Yeah. And right now we're working on Open RAN, which is Open Radio Access Network. It's software to replace the Chinese hardware, and we're trying to develop as fast as we can. But all the other countries stopped making this hardware because China was, you know, charging nothing for it. They were subsidizing the hell out of it. That was clever, too. This, too. They saw that all the Western countries were going to split their own throats with this green energy nonsense. They said, fine, they'll have to get it all from us. <laughs> it's just brilliant, actually. As, as, as devious as it is, it's brilliant. Look, we're going to uh, subsidize this stuff. We'll make it. We'll sell it to the world. We'll become the dominating support or, or source of a green energy around the world. And the consequences, the people and are going to here's, here's the fun part domestically. The, the domestic solar industry, which, of course, now is getting tons of government money from our government and is deeply reliant on the solar panels from China, you know, these lefties, these greenies, these, these people who are supposedly mo are moral betters, are they upset that, we're, that we may impose tariffs? That's the point of the, one of the points of this article is we impose tariffs on Chinese imports of solar panels because they subsidize the crap out of them. Well, now they've been running them through neighboring countries that they can bully into doing it so that the, the boxes say, from Vietnam, from Malaysia, not from China. Oh, that's right. They're trying to get around the, the, the tariffs, and we're trying to get them to the Biden administration to impose the tariffs. And <laughs> the solar industry that needs these panels to continue its, its sham business model, are they upset about the slave labor? Are they upset about the coal-fired solar panels? No. They're upset about the tariffs being put in place because it'll ruin their industry. Yeah. And as I conclude the article, if your entire fake energy industry relies on slave labor, coal, coal, coal uh, energy, and mass subsidies, your industry isn't a very good one. That's, and I mean good in every sense of the word. Absolutely. Great column. Uh, Seton, and you'll find this on lessgovernment.org. Go to lessgovernment.org to read Seton's uh, latest column. It's terrific. And you subscribe to all of his newsletters. Really interesting. Uh, also, you can, yeah, you can subscribe to the newsletter at lessgovernment.org. Perfect. Seton, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, 
and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can get tickets now and also find out about the wonderful performing arts center that's being built in downtown Naples. GulfShorePlayhouse.org is the website. We have with us a former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Well, Bob, it's uh, always a pleasure, no matter uh, where we are, whatever the weather is, uh, I'm on the Bob Harden Show on Thursday. Absolutely. <laughs> with, with Zsa Zsa in the back seat, off to the, <laughs> off to the actually, bed. Actually, Zsa Zsa the Bulldog is in the front seat, uh, sleeping next to me. So uh, she's, on her way, she's on her way to the vet, so uh, just for a checkup. So, um, and she doesn't mind. She loves riding in the car. It's the problem is getting her out of the car when she's in it so <laughs> you know what can i say say so, hey so uh we're looking for if i'm not mistaken aren't we looking for a city manager in naples well, yeah um our city manager our interim city manager dana souza who's been with us for quite a few years and uh when charlie chapman left he he took over um he um he applied for the uh, Sanibel, City of Sanibel city manager's position, and he made the final cut. And there's just three of them. They interviewed them, I believe, yesterday, and I believe they're making a decision uh, either today or tomorrow. So uh, we're, we're really keeping our fingers crossed that he gets the job because I'll tell you what, he deserves it. He's a great guy. Outstanding. So, uh, but where does that, who's going who's gonna to do his job? Who's going <laughs> to take I care of it? Let's put it this way. It isn't going to be Teresa Heitman. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, it it um, most likely would be the finance director. Uh, his name is, um, is Gary Young. He's a, he's a very bright, he's a bright guy. And in the interim, while they're um, interviewing uh, for city managers, um, uh, he probably would take over. There was a rumor that the city attorney was going to do that, but boy, I'd, I'd hate to see that because she's got literally no experience and doesn't, wouldn't know. I don't think she'd know how to run a city if her life depended on it. But anyway, that's just a. In about a quarter that's, of a that's mile, just a talk. Right turn on so, Pleasant Avenue. Anyway, that's just my uh, my uh, GPS system. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, talking to me and telling me that uh, I right have to make a right turn. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you find those things that get somewhat annoying? They start commanding and, and telling you to well, do. Well, I I I find it um, uh, annoying in some cases, but great in the others. I mean, we use it when we travel, and uh, 
the technology has gotten so good with them, Bob, that, you know, they're, they really, um, don't make too many mistakes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, once in a while she'll miss one or whatever, but you know, um, when you get used to it, it's a really good thing. It's a great thing indeed, Bill. So any good scoop in the city? Well, things have been pretty quiet. They had an airport authority meeting with the, uh, with the airport authority, obviously, uh, the other day, but nothing much out of that. Um, still getting some complaints once in a while about the airplane, uh, you know, the airport noise and whatever. And, and you always get the newcomer that's come in that, uh, first thing they say when they hear the, uh, the airplane noise is, well, why don't you move the airport? <laughs> it's like, listen, that went out about what, 20 years ago. Yeah. That, so, but, uh, other than that, I guess it's pretty quiet. Um, What's going on in the world around us is pretty scary, isn't it? It is. It is scary, Bill. Any thoughts at all on what's happening politically in Washington, D.C., on Capitol Hill? We've got these uh, infrastructure bills and the uh, the uh, human, <laughs> all this stuff, oh. socialist programs that they want to install. It, it's, it, it's really ter really terrible. Um, and the... Um, the um, the Haitian, you know, all those immigrants, they were showing Haiti this morning and yeah. uh, and and what's going on and they don't have, I mean, it's just, it's very sad to see. And I would love to just one day, I'm sure you would too, right. um, would you on not, Pleasant would, you, would you not <laughs> like to just turn on the radio or the, the, the TV and, and see uh, and see just nothing but good news, yeah. smiling faces, a whole bunch of happy faces, the market jumped up uh the the hunger the hunger in the united states is 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 down we've we're feeding people i mean you know but everything is just everything is just such um um gloom and doom that it's um that it's hard to watch sometimes yeah it is it's, it is discouraging especially when you know when you create your own problems my goodness what hap happened in afghanistan was so avoidable in my opinion and how we left 83 billion dollars worth of equipment uh, left it a billion multi-billion dollar air force base or, or airfield uh, oh yeah 13 yeah. nine people dead uh, oh my gosh it's just horrible and then uh, i guess hundreds of of uh, americans still stranded and can you make sense of this apparently there's a, a chartered plane full of american citizens uh that are and the united states will not allow it to land in the united states nor will it recommend that it be allowed to land other places around the world that makes no sense to me no and and to me to me 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 either bob i i don't there are just things that happen that you just can't make any sense out of. Uh, but you know what? Hey, we keep, we keep a, you and I keep a positive, I know you do, you keep a positive attitude and uh, we, uh, we do the best we can and, and hopefully uh, uh, reach out to help people that, that need it. And, you know, what else can you say? That's exactly right. Again, uh, former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, we miss you <laughs> in the position <laughs> well, of... Of uh, well, mayor, I miss, I miss you guys too. You know, it's one of those things. That's all. Yeah, it is so. indeed. Well, tell Zaza to have a great appointment. I hope everything goes oh. well with the vet. <laughs> and, and, and Bill, th I, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, I'll speak to you next week, and you have a great week. Okay. You as well. Thank you so much, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, right now, President Biden is facing a trust deficit among Americans when it comes to COVID-19. 
That, according to the latest installment of the Axios uh, Coronavirus Index, the latest finding points to malaise more than fear, but malaise could spell real trouble for the Democrat president who's trying to build a support on a pledge to steer the nation out of crisis and whose party's bare bare House and Senate majorities are on the line. So the Americans have become a bit less worried about their, their lives. The respondents who see large risk in airline travel, dining out, or visiting family and friends are just at their lowest share since mid-July. Isn't that interesting? So what this means to me is most Americans are saying, you know what, there are risks in life. We're willing to assume those risks. We're going to be careful. We're concerned about COVID, but we want to live our lives, and we don't need the president or other officials like in New York City uh, telling us what to do. Uh, because the Constitution guarantees our freedom. Uh, individual freedom is first and foremost as long as people abide by the laws that are in place. So people are more cons- comfortable sending their kids back to school or with Halloween trick-or-treat than a year ago. Still, they're stewing in reality that even after the shutdowns, mass mandates, and wide U.S. availability of effective vaccines, the virus is still mutating and with us. So, uh, again, the president promised he was going to take us out of this malaise. It certainly hasn't happened. Things aren't stacking well up for the president, and right now he's uh, facing a decline or rejection of his social programs. It's $3.5 trillion, and Nancy Pelosi's fretting over this. She's trying to get it done, but uh, doesn't look good for uh, the Democrats right now, and that's a good thing. That's a wrap on the show today. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you join us tomorrow. We're going to visit with William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. Michael Cannon is the Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Marina Verkovich is the founder and president of the Naples uh, 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 Jewish Historical Society. Great organization. And also Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.